Hi everyone, this is Jill Flaxington from the Road to Health podcast. We are back with another remotely recorded episode of the podcast, and I apologize again for any rough sound quality. Today, we asked our behavioral health team at Blue Cross to come back and join us again to talk about another really important topic during the pandemic, and especially now that it's Mental Health Month. Many Rhode Islanders, myself, and I think all of us joining here today on the podcast included, are working from home right now. And the pandemic has put many of us in a similar situation, an unhealthy push for productivity. Speaking for myself personally, I don't have to commute anymore. I don't have to get dressed for work. I don't have to drop my kids at daycare anymore. So we've got all of this quote unquote extra time. And for many of us, we feel like we need to fill that void. We should be extra productive because we have additional time now. And if and when we aren't making the most of that time, we feel even worse. So today we wanna talk about this concept of toxic productivity. Joining me now are Rena Sheehan, our Managing Director of Clinical Integration at Blue Cross, Sarah Fleury, our Manager of Behavioral Health at Blue Cross, Rosalie Cuevas, our Behavioral Health Program Manager at Blue Cross, and Vanessa Weiner, the Executive Director from the Center for Resilience. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Sarah, I think it was you who first shared this article from the New York Times that was literally titled, Stop Trying to Be So Productive. Can we talk about what it is that makes us want to fill that void and why it can be such a trap for so many people? Sure. So thanks, Jill. Um, I think that, you know, when I read that article, it really resonated with me because I, I am that person that feels like now that I have some extra time in my day, I should be using all of that time to be productive. And I think, you know, I think a lot of things play into that. I think, um, you know, we all have uh, drive and we all want to to be productive and want to get things accomplished. And I also think that in this age of social media, we go online and we look at things like Instagram or Facebook and we see that the people we know are being productive or at least posting about all of the productive things that they're doing with all of their free time, which leads you to think, okay, well, I need to, you know, plant my garden right now or paint my kitchen or do all of these 50 other things that I should be doing. Um, so this, this need to feel like you constantly have to spend every minute of your day doing something and then like sort of putting it out there, what you did, showing people how productive you are. I think we've just kind of gotten to that point, um, in society and it's, it's really tough sometimes just to take a step back and realize that these are hard times and it's okay to take a pause and, you know, putting in an eight, nine, 10 hour day at work might be enough for that day. And when the day's over, you can shut your computer and sit on your couch and watch TV or read a book or whatever you do to relax, um, stare at the ceiling. It doesn't have to be production all day long. Um, so I think it's important, important for people to remember that. I totally agree. And um, one of the things I was listening to a, another podcast, it was a Brene Brown podcast where um, she was talking about over-functioning um, during this time as as a reflection of anxiety, like it's an anxiety response. And so, you know, sometimes it's easier to keep busy rather than have to think about, you know, oh, wow, we're in this really weird situation. So sometimes it's just a way to cope with um, <clears throat> what's going on in the world. But then it reaches a point, like Sarah said, where you just, at what point is pro- are you productive enough for yourself and being able to manage your own expectations about 
what it is that you can and can't do. I think that a lot of the times, especially social media, has kind of neglected the difficulties that come from being home all the time and not having the access to some of the resources that you we typically have available to us in the office. And just, you know, the human interactions where before you were walking from meeting to meeting, but you were having conversations with people and kind of, you know, even taking a walk to get from one meeting to another, which are things that we're not currently doing right now. So the expectation that you're going to sit here and, you know, work for nine hours straight is not realistic before that's because that's not what we were doing before in the office. We were taking time to grab a coffee or walking from a meeting to another, walking, going outside for a little bit of a walk or even sometimes going to external meetings, which are not happening right now. So I think we need to just overall kind of take a step back from what social media tells us all the time and bring it back to how days were at the office in the past prior to all this happening. It's funny, there's really no trigger anymore to stop working, right? So when you're in the office, okay, well, it's a certain time and I have to get to another place or I have another obligation. And now it's there's no trigger, right? It's, oh, what time is it? Well, I don't have anywhere to be. So let me just keep working at this other project done or other project done. And then tomorrow when I come in, I won't have that to do. But it just doesn't ever level out. So um, there's really no point at which you're like, well, I'm all caught up. I guess I'll only work eight hours today. No, totally. Sometimes I find myself having my lunch next to my computer and I'm like, oh, I can, you know, shut this down for 30 minutes and just eat. So I know one of the tools um, that can be really effective in helping people manage their expectations, manage anxiety, put things in perspective is mindfulness. Um, And so, Vanessa, do you want to talk a little bit about mindfulness and how it can help with this toxic productivity and these super high expectations that we have? Uh, sure. The, you've touched on some some really interesting points about working from home, right? We have fewer transitions. So even just the walk to go get lunch or even to go outside to that lovely cafe that's around the corner from your office downtown, right? That's You don't get those transitions anymore. So you're going from one meeting to another, you know, with barely a moment to grab a glass of water and go to the bathroom. And we also have these kind of this mentality of these weekend projects that sort of we're going to push those off to the weekend or this weekend I'm going to switch my closet or this weekend I'm going to paint the kitchen or... Um, you know, bake this recipe that I've been looking at for a while. But now the the weekend and the weekdays all kind of run together. So we're looking at um, those those weekend projects that we used to be able to compartmentalize. We don't necessarily have that time anymore because um, they're staring at us in the face all, all day long. Um, and then there's this interesting reality that we generally leave an unfinished to-do list every day. Well, maybe I should speak for myself. I generally leave an unfinished to-do list. There's always stuff to do. But like you said, Rita, we have these natural cues of being able to shut things off because you have to get to the next place or the next thing um, that's part of your day. And so now there's this... um this sort of mistaken belief that you could get to the bottom of your to-do list if you just 
keep working. And so all those, um, all those things could um, maybe be what people are pointing to, mindfulness now being um, a way to help us manage our attention and manage our, um, our focus. Uh, because mindfulness is really just paying attention in a particular way uh, on purpose and without judgment. That's been sort of the technical definition. What does that mean? It's, it's really just paying attention to what's happening right now. So we're, we're being um, curious and open-minded and aware of what's happening in this particular moment. When we're doing too many things or we're living in this culture of busy that we tend to live in, we sometimes have the the um the feeling that we're living on a hamster wheel, right? And we just do these things on autopilot and and the autopilot doesn't really allow us to pay attention in those particular ways. The paying attention in the particular way is like mindfulness is people say, um, well, I'm just breathing, right? But you're paying attention to your breath. You're paying attention to the inhale and the exhale. You're noticing when you get distracted and you return to the breath, just the inhale and the exhale without beating yourself up about it. We sometimes talk to ourselves in ways that are not so nice and maybe not even words that we would say to our kids or our best friends. And if we're that hard on ourselves and practicing that much judgment for ourselves, we're definitely practicing that kind of judgment externally too. And so when we can manage the judgment piece and we can manage the attention piece, then we can really notice when we're feeling a tug to have to do all these things, but noticing that that's an externally driven feeling and we don't necessarily have to do all those things or that we're noticing that we're distracted by the messy pantry every time we go in to get something to eat that we want to organize and we've been waiting to do that for weeks on end, well, instead of judging yourself for the messy pantry, you put it on a list and you schedule some time when you can organize your pantry. So how do you get to that point? How do you, (laughs) (laughs) it sounds good. Any thoughts on how you move from this, you know, 90 miles an hour hamster wheel to that? Are there ways that people have found that are more successful than others in starting that new way of thinking? Well, there's lots of different ways that um, that one can practice being mindful, right? If we're just talking about paying attention in a particular way with this sort of kindness and curiosity, then um, the kinds of things that we um, did for the town hall, were any of you on the town hall? Um, so, you know, we... At our town hall meeting um, in our division, we did a mindfulness exercise that Vanessa led us through where we just all collectively closed our eyes and um, she guided us through focusing on our breath. And it was just very calm and relaxing um, and peaceful. 
And I think um, the feedback from the group was really, you know, it was super positive. Everyone really just thought it was really beneficial. So I don't know how easy it is to lead people through exercises like that. If that's something like we should talk about doing at more of our meetings where we get together as a big or a small group, having like a, Rena, I think you call them mindfulness moments sometimes, um, where we are able to just take a break and, and be mindful and, and have some quiet. I think that would be great. I did uh, call the mind, suggest that we practice some mindful moments, maybe before meetings or things like that. But what was really, as Sarah said, was really powerful in that town hall exercise is that I sat there and I was like, okay, breathe, breathe. And then like at a certain point, it just clicks in, right? Like, so you're doing it and you're walking, you're through it and you I mean, I started off saying, I don't really know how far, you know, how effective this is going to be for me today. But then as you just continue to walk through it, there is this switch that happens and you achieve that level of, I want to say peace while you're doing it. Um, so that's for me what, how that exercise went. Right. I totally agree. It just, I just felt myself going and like, you know, into space almost with the the breathing exercise. It was very, very powerful. I'm glad to hear it went well on that particular day. There's plenty of days where it may or may not go well. um, And there's a reason why it's called a practice because it does require just that, which is practice. And uh, Blue Cross has made it available at 1130 every day for all employees to be able to call in, right? We're doing uh, sessions uh, 15 minute sessions uh, every day at 11:30, and we've had um, pretty regular attendance from um, from a handful of people. I recognize a lot of the names every week of people who join us, and um, and some days it's um, you know when we check in with people, we get a lot of responses that um, they feel so much better, and they're so thankful for the pause and that the the forced uh, interruption, um, you know positive interruption to their day um, what really helped them get back on track and refocus. And there's other days where people are feeling really tense and really um, agitated or anxious or um, uh, disturbed by something that they read or that they're dealing with at work or at home. Um, and that's also really normal too. And uh, we talk about this uh, two wings of the bird with mindfulness. We talk about this attention and focus, but we also talk about the compassion and the empathy. And I think that's where the non-judgment piece comes in. Because if we can actually be able to find comfort in the discomfort, we can apply that to every part of our life. Because we always are going to have discomfort in life. And maybe right now, we're experiencing a whole level of discomfort that we didn't even know was coming when we went home, you know, and not to return to the office building for um, a while on that, you know, fateful March day, that um, the idea of breathing through the discomfort, or like you mentioned, that you weren't really sure how it was going to work for you on this particular day and that you're breathing, but you're distracted and you're noticing all these different things that are happening, but all of a sudden something clicks in. How many times have you been in the shower and you have your best ideas in the shower? So it's in that moment where you're only doing one thing. And isn't it amazing that that's where all the creativity comes from? Sometimes athletes call it finding flow 
or being in the zone. And that's just the idea of doing one thing. So many athletes use mindfulness because the training of the mind in that way really helps them to stay in the zone no matter what's happening in the stands or on the scoreboard or with the other team or whatever they're noticing that could be a distraction, that they have to stay in the zone. And so if we can find ways to stay in the zone when a meeting is kind of boring or um, uh, when we're distracted by someone who walks in or or when um, my my husband is a physician and he was saying to me how difficult this time has been for him because normally he will take someone from the waiting room, put them in their room, he'll do a little intro chat and then while they're changing, he's going back to the front desk and he's maybe answering some of the questions that they have at the front desk or he's jumping on the EHR and he's doing some prescription refills and getting back to people and then he goes in the room but then they have another question or they need a test and he's constantly multitasking and he's constantly doing so many various things in the day and right now he's like this visually with a patient and just sitting for an hour and he's saying uh it's really taxing my attention in an incredible way this being online especially video when we include the video component is exhausting in a whole nother way uh, because it's really requiring a different kind of task for our attention Vanessa, I know you you mentioned that you had some insight you could share in this area, the concept of of multitasking. And I know lots of people have a different definition of of what's effective multitasking or whether or not you you should even be doing it. So would love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, Multitasking is a really interesting concept. It's actually a, it's a computer processing word. It's not even really um, used for humans because, um, our brains cannot multitask. That's, I think there's something like 2% of us who actually can effectively do two things at the same time, but our brains are really built to do one thing at a time. So when we think we're multitasking, we're actually task switching, which then makes us so much less productive because we're starting and stopping and starting and stopping and starting and stopping so many things when we think we're doing just two things at a time to be more productive, we're actually losing, some people say, 40% productivity when we're trying to multitask. And it significantly increases the error rate when we try and do two things. Um at the same time. And because we know so much more about neuroplasticity now and how our brains can continue to evolve over time, that if we're if that's what we're practicing, if we continue to practice doing multiple things at the same time or really task switching, then that's what gets stronger and then we start to see this really diffuse attention and you may have even noticed especially now during the pandemic where we're not necessarily in our typical offices or our office space that's set up for productivity, that attention is really um, under siege right now. And it's hard to really get a, a long amount of time to focus on any one thing um, because 
were were so um, good at uh, being distracted, and that's what we're continuing to practice. So that's what's getting stronger is is us um, getting uh, distracted. In fact, um, there's a number of sources that talk about um, decision fatigue and like all the decisions that we have to make in a day. I read somewhere that it's 35,000 decisions that we have to make a day. Like, and what incredible decision fatigue we could be under after 35,000 decisions a day. Uh, So if we have to make the decision to just focus on one thing and get that one thing done and actually get to check the thing off of our list, which gives our brain that happy rush of dopamine, and then move on to the next thing, we can feel empowered that we are making it through our to-do list as opposed to this diffuse attention where we're actually not getting anything done. Some people talk about um, mindfulness existing in the space between stimulus and response and that really all day long we're responding to what the stimulus that is in front of us. And when we react, we're not really putting in um, a lot of like conscious intention around the response that we want to have. And when we react, sometimes... I'm a mom, like we have to like improvise and dance and do 72 things at the same time. At least we think we can. And, and so I'm reacting all day long and thinking that that's really effective. But if I really sit back and look at reacting versus responding, there's not a lot of productivity in reacting and there's not a lot of um, like feeling productive at the end of the day because all you've done is put fires out. But on those days, that's just what faced you. So that's okay. Does mindfulness allow us to find that space between stimulus and response, take a breath and say, hmm, this is how I'm going to respond skillfully in this situation. And then we get to really use our tools use the like creative problem solving skillful decision making part of our brain that really is much more rewarding in the long term it's much more creative and ultimately more empowering because you're feeling really good about what you've done in those situations there was an article shared internally um, around productivity and he suggested putting on your task list three to five things that you could accomplish throughout the day and not kind of overwhelm yourself with a large list of to-dos. That's a great tip. Someone gave me that tip, you know, a long time ago that um, making your top priority list of those three to five things. I also like to write in a different color in my planner the other things on my list. So I know that if I do get to finish those things, I also have a place to put my attention for sort of the next level priority things. I also think it's worth mentioning that we live in this culture of busyness and you know that those times when you run into someone that you haven't seen in a while or the grocery store, you know, checkout person says, how are you? And what's your answer? Busy. Yeah. Because it's like a badge of honor. Like if we're not busy, we're not 
somehow important or we're not somehow, you know, making the most of every day in our lives of what we were should or supposed to be doing. And the brain needs rest as much as the body needs rest. And so often when we start mindfulness programs with adults, we say, we're just going to sit here for five minutes or 10 minutes. They go, what? Like, how, how could you possibly? I have so much I have to do. I can't possibly sit here for five minutes because I could be getting so much done in that time. But in fact, doing nothing is doing something. We really need to give that brain a time to rest and reset and refocus. Um, So even just getting up from the computer, stretching, even just raising your hands over your head, even getting up out of your chair, taking a walk for a glass of water, all those things can give your brain that natural reset that it needs. That's great. And I am personally 100% guilty of the classic busy response. (laughs) It's like a busy competition, right? (laughs) Right. I like that. (laughs) There's no prize. (laughs) Um, I would love to to have Vanessa just take a minute and and share more about the Center for Resilience and and what you guys do. um, And um, if people can can look to the center for, for maybe some more resources after this, if they'd like to learn more. So Center for Resilience started as Resilient Kids working um, in high need uh, schools in some of our underserved neighborhoods in Rhode Island to teach kids the tools to manage stress and anxiety and empower them to be learning ready and to overcome adversity or thrive through adversity. And For five years, we worked solely with the students. We were partners with the teachers in the classrooms coming in twice a week for the entire school year, building relationships with the students. And the teachers were the ones who really, after so many years of saying, we need this too, this isn't just for kids, we ultimately rebranded and became Center for Resilience and um, started expanding our programs, not only to teachers, but now into the workplace and with community uh, trainings as well. So uh, we work with Blue Cross. So hopefully you'll all join us on our 1130 calls when your schedule allows. Um, But we've worked with lots of other companies um, in Rhode Island as well to help with some of these uh, talent development and leadership uh, development programs through mindfulness uh, as the tool by which we can learn those skills um, in the same way that we teach that to the students. So I would like to thank you, Rena, Sarah, and Rosalie from our behavioral health team at Blue Cross. And a huge thank you to Vanessa Wiener from the Center for Resilience for joining us. You have given us some great information and I know you've made me feel much better about how I'm handling this pandemic. Um, And I hope others have found this as reassuring uh, and as helpful as I have. So thank you all for joining us today and uh, stay safe and stay healthy.